So some people would say, uh, what's the purpose of the world? What's the point of it all? Well, uh, there is no point. Uh, the world that we see is all that there is. It's impersonal. It's just blind physical forces. That's all there is. And in this universe of blind physical forces, human beings, well, we're nothing more than just very complicated chemical reactions. The coming together of chance and time. There's no purpose to you or to me or to any of us. There is no point. Uh, other people say, there's more to life than just the physical world. Uh, they take a slightly more uh, spiritual view of things, perhaps, and say, well, to, to make sense of life, uh, we need to appeal to fate, or to destiny, or to karma, or to something that's beyond and behind the world of physics and chemistry, to, to somehow give the world meaning. It's comforting, but it's essentially blind faith. Uh, the God who made the world, though, he speaks into his world and, and he offers something much better. Uh, and as we look at Ephesians, uh, we're going to hear from him and we're going to discover that the universe does have a purpose. Because God made everything and everyone uh, for a purpose. Uh, and God tells us something of this uh, purpose this morning. Uh, so that we can know it, so we can grasp our part in it. You and I have a God-given purpose. Uh, and uh, again, the hope, the prayer is that as we see that more clearly, it would shape uh, not just how we see the world, but what we live for and how we live. Uh, it can give us hope and joy and peace. If, if we grasp it, it should cause us to praise God, whose wonderful purpose it is. Uh, so our passage today really focuses in on uh, that first big question of, of purpose. Uh, have a look with me. It begins with this kind of outpouring of praise from the Apostle Paul, uh, having introduced himself. Verse 3, he gives us what is kind of a, a headline for the whole of verses 3 through to 14. He says, Praise be uh, to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, uh, Paul and the Christians to whom he's writing, by extension to Christians everywhere. Uh, he's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. See, Paul doesn't live in a universe of blind physical forces or a kind of vague spirituality. Paul knows true spiritual blessings. Now there's loads in this uh, short verse, there's loads of kind of Bible language, but it's worth just uh, looking at it together briefly. Christians, Paul says, have every spiritual blessing. That is, there's nothing missing. Uh, we lack nothing that we need spiritually. He goes on to use words like lavish, abundant, uh, rich. As in all things, God is generous. Uh, these uh, blessings that we have are spiritual, he says, in that they come to us from God uh, through the Holy Spirit. That means we can't necessarily see or touch them, but that doesn't make them any the less real. There are lots of things in our lives, some of the things that matter uh, most to us, that shape our lives, that we can't see or touch directly. But we can enjoy them, we can feel them, they're no less real. these blessings, uh, they come to us and to everyone who is in Christ that is connected to Jesus Christ by trusting him, that was our video wasn't it and they come from God the Father, it is he who uh, has blessed us with them, he is the one who gets the praise 
at the credit. So as an introduction, it's it's quite compact, verse 3, and it it raises for us all kinds of questions. Uh, What are these blessings that Paul's so excited about? Uh, What is so good about them? Uh, What do some of them even mean? Uh, Three things I think God's words are saying to us uh, this morning. Uh, You'll see the points are on the sheets. They're not on the slides this morning, but uh, that's okay. Uh, The first is this. Uh, Every spiritual blessing points... To God's glorious grace in Christ. Every spiritual blessing points uh, to God's glorious grace in Christ. Let's figure out uh, what's going on in uh, verses 4, 5 and 6. Verse 4 speaks of God choosing Christians. Uh, Verse 5 speaks of uh, God predestining them. Uh, That is, before time, God decided he chose who would be Christians, what their destiny would be. Uh, Now, how does that fit with other things that God says about what it means to be a Christian, how we become Christians? Uh, Because to to be a Christian, we know that we need to do something. Uh, We have to accept God's invitation to trust Jesus and be forgiven. Uh, We might even say that we chose to trust Jesus. Uh, But Paul says here, uh, people only choose God because God chose them first. Uh, People only choose God because God chose them first. Or to put it another way, uh, the way you know God has chosen you is if you have chosen him. The way you know God has chosen you is if you have chosen him. Uh, And Paul says that is an incredible blessing, a wonderful truth. Now what are we to make of it? Uh, I want to fast forward quickly to the end of verse 6 to see where Paul's teaching on this takes us. That God chooses people, that he predestines them to be Christians, is, says Paul, to the praise of God's glorious grace. In other words, just like every other spiritual blessing, God choosing people points to God's glorious grace in Christ. And we need to hear that, I think, because lots of understanding of who does the choosing when it comes to the Christian life don't give God the credit. They don't point to his grace. Uh, Let's just think about the few. And again, they're they're laid out for us on a bit of paper. See, we can be in danger, I think, sometimes of thinking, I chose God because I'm holy. Sometimes you get the impression that that is what Christians think. And it's pretty smug and pretty unattractive. I chose God uh, because I'm holy. We can fall into the trap of uh, misunderstanding what's going on. We think, uh, well, I heard about Jesus. I heard the invitation to trust him for forgiveness and new life. and, And I chose him. And if that is all that's going on, what does that really say? It says, I chose God because something about me. It claims in some way that I'm more spiritually discerning than somebody who didn't choose him. That I'm more morally upright. That I'm more intellectually attuned to God or or whatever. Basically, it's saying, God chose me because of something about me. Why is that a misunderstanding? Is saying God chose me because of something about me, does, does that... Give God the credit. Is that to the praise of God's glorious grace? No. I'm not praising myself. So that doesn't fit with what Paul's saying. That is a misunderstanding of what's going on. Let's try another possibility, which is, I think, another misunderstanding. We might think, God chose me to be a Christian because I'm holy. Now, now at this point, God is doing the choosing... And it sounds a bit more like verse 4, but 
But according to this misunderstanding, why is God doing the choosing or how is he doing it? God chooses people in this understanding or misunderstanding uh, the way that someone might choose a child for a football team. God chooses the best ones, the holy ones, and not the others. And once again, that makes Christians smug and proud, and it's ugly. And it's not true. Uh, Why is this a misunderstanding? Is saying God chose me because I'm holy, is that to the praise of his glorious grace? No. It ends up saying God chose me because I'm special. It's back with me again. It points to me. It makes me proud. But according to Paul here, God choosing people, it shouldn't make us proud. It should make us praise. See, behind everything else, what is it that makes anyone a Christian according to these verses? Just look again at verse 4. God chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose us to be holy, says Paul. See the difference? For Paul, the answer is not about all about, as it were, the people God chooses. It's all about the God who does the choosing. Because he chooses people in order that they might become holy and blameless. And the implication is that the people who were chosen aren't. God chooses people who are unholy. He chooses people who are blameworthy. And he chooses them to see them for what they are not, holy and blameless. See, Christians do nothing to deserve at being chosen by God. And so there's no grounds for pride. Instead, God gets the praise because he does it all. Choosing unholy people is to the praise of his grace. Glance down with me at verse 5, just carries on this idea of choosing. In love, says Paul, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with the pleasure of his will. Just think about adoption for a moment and how adoption works because uh, 21st century adoption is very like uh, first century Roman adoption. So it's, it's something we can get our heads around pretty quickly. How does adoption work? The child doesn't initiate adoption. The parent does. Uh, the child doesn't choose the parent. The parent chooses to adopt the child. The child doesn't earn a place in the family. The parent freely gives it to them. The child doesn't sign any of the papers. The parent makes the promise. The child doesn't become a son or a daughter secured by their good behaviour, but by that promise that the parent makes to them. See, the act of adoption is all about the parent and what they do. You can't take pride in being adopted because it wasn't you who did it. You can only praise your parent for what they've done and enjoy the blessings that that brings. See, Christian adoption by God the Father is no different, Paul says. God chose to adopt people, to make them his own. He decided in advance, before at creation. If you're a Christian today, if the Holy Spirit has brought you to trust Jesus Christ, then you are adopted. You are God's child. It's wonderful, isn't it? It's wonderful. It transforms your identity, it deals with your past, it it gives you a new future, it's wonderful. But you can't take pride for any of it, because you did nothing to deserve it. You can only be proud of the Father who adopted you, you can only praise him for his glorious grace 
freely given to us in Christ. Full of thanks, full of joy, full of the peace that that brings. Uh, as we get further on in the book of uh, Ephesians, uh, Paul's going to talk about how God ha- has uh, made secure the people that he's chosen. Uh, how God empowers us to keep going in the Christian life in a world that is hard. But for now, uh, for those of us who are maybe uh, feeling that life is a bit of a battle at the moment, uh, perhaps feeling that God's uh, blessings are in doubt, we're wondering, are we going to be able to keep going as Christians Perhaps we feel we lack the power in ourselves to do it. We can know, can't we? If you're a Christian, God chose you before the creation of the world and he chose you to be his. You will stand for all eternity as holy, blameless, children of God. Not because we deserve it, but because he graciously decided to make it so. What he has decided he will do. Every spiritual blessing points to God's glorious grace in Christ. Uh, But Paul here is is kind of tripping over himself to continue to to praise God. Uh, So these next verses, it's all part of one long sentence in the original Greek. He's he's just gushing about these spiritual blessings that are available to us in Christ. So the next few verses, they highlight that every spiritual blessing comes from God's lavish grace uh, in Christ. Uh, Let's have a look together. Uh, The previous verses, I think they still leave us with lots of questions. Uh, We've seen some aspects of God's uh, plans for his people. He's uh, adopting children. He's uh, changing them that they might be holy and blameless. But how can a holy God choose unholy people? Uh, How can a just God overlook the sins of guilty people? Uh, How can he relate to us as if we're blameless when in all kinds of ways we deserve to take the blame? Simply put, because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. Uh, Look with me, verse 7. In him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he's lavished on us. Uh, Paul's reminding his readers, he's reminding us this morning that Christ deals with Everything that might get in the way of fellowship with God. Uh, One problem we all of us have is that we aren't holy. Uh, We don't love all that is good. We don't stand opposed to all that is evil. Uh, In ways that are personal and particular to each one of us, we love sin. Uh, The Bible talks about us being uh, enslaved. We don't want that to be true, but the Bible, I think, is pretty plain about it. According to the Bible, sin isn't something that you do uh, so much as it is something that controls you, that enslaves you. That's what Jesus says. I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin, he says. Uh, We are, if you like, uh, like an addict who uh, doesn't want to quit, uh, who can't quit on their own, uh, who needs a kind of act of outside intervention. Going on is that God sent Jesus as an act of divine intervention to deal with our sin addiction. At verse 7, in Christ we have redemption through his blood. Uh, that is, by his death, Jesus rescues his people from slavery to sin. He uh, pays the price to set us free. He gives us a new start, a new heart. He works in us by his spirit to change us. 
If we're in Christ by faith, we're freed from our slavery to sin. But there's more. Because that's not our only problem. We, we need to be rescued not just from our slavery to sin, but from the consequences of our sin. Uh, in verse 4 we read, God chose us to be blameless, but on our own we aren't blameless. So God has to deal with our blame for us. So we can't be reconciled with God and brought into his family unless uh, the offence of our sin is dealt with. So God does that himself. Uh, in dying on the cross, Jesus came to take our blame. Uh, Jesus took the just consequences for our sins so that we never have to. So in the eyes of God now, we can be blameless. See, in him we have forgiveness, says Paul. Uh, and as Christians, I think we talk lots about these truths, don't we? Because, well, the Bible talks lots about them, and, and because they're wonderful. Paul says God's grace to forgive people, it's lavish, it's rich, it's overwhelming. It, it deserves praise. we mustn't miss Paul's focus here his focus isn't on Christians do you see this it's not even on how wonderful it is to receive these blessings and I'm sure he could go into raptures about what it, what it is to know and to have grasped with your heart and mind all these spiritual blessings that he's speaking of but what is Paul's focus here it is how wonderful the God is who's given see that it's on what Jesus has done and on why God is so praiseworthy. And he gets so carried away that now he expands things still further. Uh, uh, these next few verses, he kind of pans out the camera lens for us. Uh, every spiritual blessing uh, points to God's glorious grace in Christ. Every spiritual blessing comes from God's lavish grace in Christ. And, and now he gets bigger. Now he looks at the kind of cosmic purpose for all things. What kind of universe do we live in, it turns out? Well, God's plan is to centre all things together in Christ. Uh, here at the start of the book, he's giving us God's purpose uh, for the universe, into which everything else fits. Verse 9, God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. And what is it? Verse 10 tells us. When the times will have reached their fulfilments. God is going to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. It's more complicated Bible language. In a nutshell, God's plan for the universe is to centre all things together on Christ. Heaven and earth, the physical, spiritual realms, all of it is going to be brought together and centred on him. Not like now. And not like now, where we are all in different ways centred on ourselves or on other things that God has made for us to enjoy. In all kinds of different ways, we are out of kilter with the God who made us and with each other, therefore. We're out of line, in fact, with reality. But God says he's going to put everything right. Katie bought me this T-shirt about 20 years ago. I had hair and everything then. Uh, she got me this t-shirt, and uh, you won't be able to see it at the back. You won't even be able to see it at the front. Um, there's a, a sort of picture of a planet, uh, and in tiny letters in the middle of the planet, it says, if you can read this, then you're standing incredibly close to the centre of the universe. 
I was 20. We'd known each other for a couple of months. Uh, and even then, she knew me too well. Uh, it's very easy, I find, uh, to think that the world, in fact the universe, uh, revolves around us as if we are the centre of things. I find that, and the Bible tells me I'm not the only one. Uh, we're all of us, in different ways, trying to push God out to the margins and have everything centre on what we want, our reputations, our kingdoms, our, our wills. It's the opposite of the Lord's Prayer. And that is why the world is broken. And God is saying in these verses, I'm going to fix everything. I'm going to put it all right, all the way it's supposed to be. Everything is going to be centred on Christ, because that is the way the universe is supposed to be. That is his master plan. That is what everything is working towards. It's going to be put into effect at the proper time, uh, when everything's reached its fulfilment, when Jesus uh, comes back. But that is where all of history, that is where all of the universe is heading. As we close, what, what does that mean? It means God has a purpose for the world. It's all about Jesus. It centres on him. That's what the world, the universe was made for. And, and to be a Christian then is actually to recognise reality as it really is. It is to be brought into God's purposes in an extraordinary way. Uh, to receive every spiritual blessing, to have every obstacle removed so that we might enjoy living with Jesus at the centre, which is the way life is supposed to be. Not because it's amazing, and it is, and not, not because uh, it's a source of joy and peace and all those wonderful blessings, and it is, but because God is amazing. And so we're to praise him for it. And the more we grasp how amazingly praiseworthy uh, he is and his purposes are, the more we will be moved to praise, and the more we will turn our hearts and our minds towards Christ in awe and wonder. And as that happens, as our wonder, as our praise grows, we will join our plans to his more and more. We will join our purposes to his more and more. Because we'll have Jesus at the centre of our lives, in our families, in our uh, ambitions, in our church life, our, our work life. It's impossible to have Christianity as a personal, private thing. It, there can be no hobby Christianity in a world where Christ is the centre of the universe. It makes no sense of who he is. See, Ephesians is going to expand our view of who God is and what he's done for us. Not so that we get to stand there and think, aren't I great? God must think I'm really special. I'll go and enjoy these things God has given me without him. What Ephesians is going to do is going to say, God has given me all these things and I didn't deserve them. Isn't he great? And what I want to do most of all is to enjoy those things with him. And to align myself and my plans and my life and my purposes with him. That is what Paul wants for all of us. I guess that can be our prayer for one another as we voyage through the book together over the next few months. What an I pray. And then we're going to sing.